Praise God. We are in the middle of a series right now entitled The Blessing of Answered Prayer. And I want to read to you one more testimony. I'll read these every week. So if you have one, you can inbox me uh, on uh, Facebook if we're friends, or you can email it into our Linked Up Church website and they will forward it to me. I mean, I know we shouldn't spend time in prayer not expecting to receive answers to those prayers. Really, they go together, okay? And so I'm reading these praise reports to encourage you uh, week by week that this is normal and this should happen all the time in a believer's life. Listen to this one. It says, good evening, Pastor. I want to share my praise report with you. I participated in a 21-day fast and, uh, and things I prayed and believed God for are happening now. Last Thursday, I received an email from Transamerica mentioning I, I submitted a distribution that I had not requested. So Friday, I called about the distribution trying to find out what was going on. And so to make a long story short, the rep told me once I no longer worked with my former company and they sent a letter in October informing me of the decision I would have to make a letter, listen to this, I don't remember getting or reading that they had made a decision for me in a check that was approved to be sent to me. I asked the amount, and he told me $694.08. I also asked uh, if this amount was taxable, and they said that the 20% taxes had already been taken out, and, they're in, and you're entitled to the entire $694.08. This was such an unexpected answer to prayer, seeing how my mother uh, has retired and monies have been cut a little short. Thank God for his blessings, his grace, and his mercy. I don't know about you, but I'll take 700 unexpected all day, every day. So can we just take a moment to rejoice with our dear sister? Come on, I mean really sincerely rejoice with our dear sister. Come on, really sincerely rejoice with our dear sister and thank God what he's doing in and through her life. Praise God. Now, I want to pick up where we left off, the blessing of answered prayer. Uh, go in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, and let's read our opening text in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and verse 2. It says, there is therefore now. Somebody say now. All right, you have to learn how to live in a constant state of knowing that God loves you, and there's nothing that you can do to stop God from loving you. And actually, before I go any further, Happy Valentine's Day to everyone in the building today. Praise God. Happy Valentine's Some of you all don't have on red today. Where's your red? So you didn't get the memo, huh? All right. Pink. Oh, it's red or pink. Okay. All right. Good. Okay, good. Well, happy Valentine's Day. I trust that you all had a great weekend. How many of y'all celebrated on Friday? Yesterday. How many of y'all will celebrate today? How many of y'all celebrate 365 days a year? I love it. Never. I mean, if you've got to make up a whole year's worth of work on one day, how are you doing something wrong in that situation? And so, praise God, I took my wife out to eat on Friday. We ran into a couple that was sitting right behind us at a nice little cozy restaurant where we were eating, and I presented her with a gift. And on yesterday, she brought me a, a gift, a new band for my watch, and uh, we presented our kids with gifts. And then on today, she's cooking my favorite meal. Let me help you ladies out. The way to a man's heart is through his stomach. And all the men said, 
Oh, yeah. So I am looking forward to getting home to one of my favorite uh, meals. It's actually a Korean, Korean dish that I'll be eating today called bulgogi. Now, you all are like, uh, all right, let's get to the message today. Romans chapter 8, 1 and 2. There is therefore now. Somebody say now. All right, you have to discipline yourself to live in a constant state that God loves you, and there's nothing you can ever do to stop God from loving you. God is not condemning you. God is not punishing you. God has a strong desire to reward you. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation. Condemnation there means an adverse sentence or a verdict. What God said about you is true, and there's nothing anyone else can reverse that in your life. So you don't let your family members, friends put you down. Listen, and most importantly, don't you put yourself down. If God said you're more than a conqueror, guess what? You are more than a conqueror, okay? So there's therefore now, right now, and this is a constant state that we have to live in, condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, how do we know we're in Christ Jesus? Who walk not according to the flesh. That word walk there means to tread all around in, walk at at large, or to be occupied with. I mean, there are very few believers who live a habitual 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week lifestyle of sin. That's not a believer if they live that way. They're not saved, right? And so the fact that you're here today demonstrates that you love God. The fact that you're here today demonstrates that you want to be right with God. So most likely no one in this room qualifies for that or you wouldn't be here today, right? So we're talking about an individual who really lives a lifestyle that is totally opposed to God and the things of God, okay? That's the person that it's referring to. But if you're in Christ, no one or nothing can condemn you or bring an adverse sentence or verdict against you. But according to the Spirit, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So in the book of Romans and in the New Testament and this dispensation of grace that we live in, there are really two laws that are in the earth. There's the law of sin and death, and then there's the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And there are things that are built into those that are automatic. And so when we operate outside of the Word of God, how many know then it enacts or it, it actually causes the law of sin and death to go into effect? When we operate inside of the Word of God, how many know there are things that are built into that that causes the law of life in Christ Jesus to be released? And everything that God's already provided for us begins to manifest itself in our life all the time, okay? And we understand that. You, you know, if you're raising children today, how I many know you give them rules, right? And you tell them as long as they stay within the guidelines of these rules, then, man, your life is set up, right? But we also tell them when you decide to go outside of these rules, here are the consequences, right? So when they have to be disciplined, you know, how I many know they, they can't say, My daddy just enjoys beating me. No. When you chose to go outside, the beating was built into that. (laughs) So now watch this. It wasn't something I wanted to do because I told you where the rewards were. And I make that clear. I never want to have to discipline you. I never want to spank you. I pray that I never have to cross that bridge. But when they go outside of that, What they have said is, I want the spanking, 
and I want to be disciplined. Right? And once you do this drill long enough, they'll just come to you and say, I already know, Dad. Just go ahead and, right? Because it's built in. But any good parent's desire and heart is to always reward and bless their children. Okay? And so I'm going to show you some things today I believe will be a real blessing to you. Let's just go back through these things real quick. Believing is the first step and confessing seals what it is that we believe. Believing and confessing are spiritual laws that create a supernatural result for the believer and the confessor. I want to, again, quote for you Hebrews 11, chapter, verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 6 again, because I want to continue to paint this picture of how God is. Uh, chapter 6, or chapter 11, verse 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please. And that word faith there is a Greek word, pistis, which simply means trust. So we can't please God if we don't trust God. I mean, we don't go to people that we don't trust. And really, we only, whatever our perception is of that relationship will determine what level we're willing to go to him, right? And so a few years ago, you know, I had an investment opportunity probably about seven or eight years ago, and I needed $60,000. I mean, you just can't go to anybody and ask them for $60,000. Right? You're going to go to someone, number one, that you trust, number two, that you believe has the resources, right, right, and that you know will come through for you. Well, I called my friend, and I said, hey, man, I'm in a once-in-a-lifetime type of situation, and uh, I don't want to go borrow the money, and I just need 60000 Give me 90 days. I turn it right back around to you. Well, to my surprise, this is what they say. I don't really need to know what you need it for. I just need to know you need it. And it was, on my, it was at my house two to three, three days later. We went and closed the deal, biggest deal in my life. How many know I paid him back more than the 60000 he gave me Amen. once we made the money? But how many know I wouldn't have went to him if I didn't trust him? Amen. Definitely wouldn't have went to him if I didn't believe he could deliver. Amen. Every time you go to God, you've got to trust that he can deliver. Right? Now, my natural friend can do that. How much more can God? All right, let's keep going. So now, without, without faith really trust it is impossible to please him for he that comes to God must believe that he is so you've got to believe that whatever I'm coming to him about he is all of that and a bag of chips not only can he do that but he can do it beyond what I'm even asking or thinking about so he's usually bigger than what I'm coming to him with okay watch this that he is a punisher he's a what he's a what How does he describe himself? As a what? So he's not a punisher, folks. God is not up somewhere waiting on you to make a mistake so he can show you how big he is so you can see that he can treat you a certain way. That's not how he is, folks. That that is not, I wouldn't want to serve a God like that. God is more interested in rewarding you than he is punishing you. But he only rewards, how many know the rewards are different? The best way I can describe this to you You know, he says, for those that diligently seek him. And so, you know, the reward, God wants to reward all of us, but he doesn't reward us the same because our pursuits aren't the same, right? So if you watch a a basketball game, let's just go back to the Golden State Warriors last year, NBA championship. I mean, you know, the last guy on the bench, even though he's on the team, doesn't make the same money as Stephen Curry. Right? All right. 
Draymond Green made a certain amount of money up until that championship. Once they won that championship, and he was an important part of that, he got like a $40 million raise. I mean, everybody on the team didn't get a $40 million raise, but they were all on the team. So the rewards were different based off of diligence and what people produce. The love is the same, but the rewards are different. So he said, for those who diligently, what? And so if you have an area of your life, if you trust him, you come to him knowing that he has a strong desire to reward you, then what you want to do is search out and investigate whatever area of your life you need him to show up in. And how many know based off of that research, that inquire, and that re- the fact that you'll require and inquire and go back until you fully understand how many know that already releases the reward of the benefit of what you, what you searched out? All right, so now, all of this is review. I want to get to where we're going today. And so, we're talking about seven spiritual laws of prayer. Now, when you hear laws, I don't want you to think Old Testament and works because everything that we're getting ready to talk about has nothing to do with your merit. It has everything to do with God or really Jesus' merit and what he did for you, okay? And so I don't want you to hear laws that if I do this, that, and the other, I can get God to do something. It's not what we're talking about. Remember, there are certain things that are in the earth that produce death, and there are certain things that are in the earth that produce life. These are seven things we're going to talk about that just produce life when we honor and we obey them. And we do it from a different place. We're not trying to get God to do something. He's already done it, and this is how we respond properly to it. Does everyone see that? All right, we talked about the first one was we have to do what? Ask, okay? Number two, I don't need to say anything else about that. All new information from here. Number two, uh, you have to ask the Father in Jesus' name. Now, a lot of times we don't fully understand what, praying in Jesus' name means, and we do it for religious reasons. We've kind of learned the Christian vernacular, and so we heard someone else say it, so we're going to say it, and and hopefully it'll work for us the way it worked for them. And so sometimes we can think it's like a magic wand. You know, at the end of my prayer, I just put in Jesus' name on it, and that prayer is automatic. But you're going to learn, folks, you know, Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to do what? To fulfill it. So he's actually fulfilling something that was already present. He's just giving us a better covenant while doing it. And we're going to look at that, talk about that, and I want you to understand that because it's going to change how you pray, how you approach God, how you do everything, okay? And so praying to the Father in Jesus' name. A lot of times I hear people pray to Jesus. Jesus, come on through. Now, Jesus, you can do it. Jesus, I mean, you won't find anywhere in the Scripture where Jesus told you to pray to him or asked you to pray to him. But we do it sometimes not even thinking about it. Jesus, 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 you see? And we're, we're, we're praying to Jesus, not understanding that nowhere has he ever instructed us to pray to him. It sounds good, but how many know it, it doesn't work? All right? And so we're going to understand that. We've all been there before. How many of y'all have prayed to Jesus before? Now, Jesus, you see my situation. And we don't even think about it. It's just we heard someone else do it or we just developed a bad habit somewhere along the way. Other times we're just kind of praying a general prayer, not really sure about the prayer, and then we throw on the back end of it in Jesus' name, 
and all of a sudden it's automatic, okay? So let's walk through some things today. I believe this is going to be a great blessing. It'll take me two weeks to get through this. This is a paradigm shift, uh, I believe, for all of us, but it'll be a great blessing to you. So now, under the first covenant, Hebrew men approach God in prayer by addressing him as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all right? So they didn't come in their own name. They came to him in the name of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Go with me to Exodus chapter 3. And you all might recall the children of Israel were in uh, Egyptian bondage and captivity, right? And so God finally has heard their cry. He's heard their plea. He chooses a man named Moses, and he says, Moses, I want you to go back, gather all the elders of Israel, and say this to him. Now watch this. Exodus chapter 3, look at verse 16. He says, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob appeared to me saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. Now let's go real slow today, okay? This is learning. This is educational today. Notice he didn't tell Moses to go in your name. How many of you would have had no impact on those elders? Moses could have showed up on his own and said, I'm here to deliver you all. And they might have, I don't know what they may have done to Moses. How many of you know Moses wasn't a perfect man? How many of you know Moses had already killed one of the Egyptian brethren? Moses was not a perfect man. So notice God intentionally said, go and tell the elders that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So clearly that must have meant something to the elders to believe Moses to go get all of their stuff and get ready to come out of here. All right, stay with me. Now, these three names are the three patriarchs of faith with whom God confirmed and reconfirmed his covenant. So when praying in the name of these three men, it reminded God of his everlasting promise toward the seed of Abraham. And I want to go real slow. So if Moses would have went just as Moses, how many of this time God had made no promises to Moses? So Moses had to go in a higher authority than himself in order to get not only the people of Israel to believe it, but in order for God to move. So when God prepared to destroy Israel, well, let me say it this way before I read that. Because I want to paint a real good picture of God and his character. Human nature is human nature. And so Moses, he goes up the mount, he spends 40 days with God. As a result of him being up there for 40 days, getting the Ten Commandments, What did the people start saying? It only takes one person to start a whole group of people going wrong. All it takes is one person to say, Moses is not coming back. Moses is not thinking about us. Moses no longer cares about us. Aaron, you're the new king. Make us a new God. Aaron gets caught up, right? Take off all your earrings. Take off all your jewelry, right? Throws it into the fire. And all of a sudden, this calf leaps up out of this uh, fire. And what does Aaron say? This is your God. Now, how many know that calf didn't bring them out of Egypt? And as a result, they started having a party. All kind of wrong stuff going on here. 
Uh, they're having orgies. You've got men leaving the natural use of a woman and being with other men. I don't care what you say about that. There's nothing natural about two men being together, period. Nothing natural about that. Now, we love them, and we want to help them, but I don't care how you, you don't have to clap. It is the truth. There's nothing natural about two men being together. And I'm telling you, if it was some strong men in this building, I'd get a little bit of support behind a statement like that in the church. There's nothing natural about that. Just like there's nothing natural about two women being together. There's nothing natural about that. Cannot be defined. They're trying to use love so that they can pervert what love really is. Love wins. Love does win because we love everybody. Still doesn't make that natural. Why? Because it wouldn't produce anything. I just want you to use common sense. You wouldn't even be here today if that was natural. Just use common sense. Because two men can't procreate. I don't mean to be vulgar, but, but this is an exit area. It's not an entry area. Come on, people, don't leave me out here by myself. We need more churches that aren't afraid to tell the truth. That doesn't mean we don't love people. We love everybody. And it shows you there's nothing new under the sun. This was going on back then. So there's nothing new under the sun. And God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So what God says is, I'm getting ready to come down there and kill all of them. And start all over again. Let me tell you why. Because they're getting ready to kill themselves. All right. Now, y'all, now that I have your attention today, <laughs> let's look at some Old Testament patriarchs to help us better understand. Go with me to Exodus chapter 32. Or Exodus 3, I'm sorry. No, Exodus 32. Exodus 32. When you get there, say amen. Good stuff today, isn't it? All right. Exodus 32, look at verse 13 and 14. Now, how many of you know that's not meant to condemn anyone? Not at all. Listen to me, balcony floor, listen to me. If you never change, you can keep coming to this church, and we're going to love you for the rest of your life. Just the way you are. But it does not mean we're not going to teach you right from wrong. Only thing we're not going to do is judge you. So we can go eat, we can hang out, we can do whatever. We can spend time, I'll invest in you, I, I, whatever. I'm not going to judge you at all. And nothing you can do that will stop me from loving you. Amen. But I'm not going to compromise the truth to be your friend. Because I mean, oh, then I don't love you. You all understand the difference? But other than that, man, keep on coming. Nobody's judging you. Coming just as you are, too. Hold hands. Just be you. And I believe you keep coming and you keep hearing this truth. It will eventually deliver you. I feel like I'm out here by myself today. Can I? I need a, can somebody encourage me just, just a little bit today? Just a little bit. Sometimes it's a lonely spot up here. You feel like you're by yourself. Exodus 32, okay? Watch this now. So Moses 
God says, I'm getting ready to destroy these people. And, you know, that is, I mean, that's what they're doing. I brought you out. You're going to make a golden calf and then just totally turn against me. Right? Look at what Moses said. Moses said, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I've spoken of, I'll give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. And how many of you know he could have been justified in doing it? So what stopped him? Was it in Moses' name? Or was it what Moses reminded God of? It was something about when God heard about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he realized, covenant, that he realized, I can't do this in spite of what the people are doing. Let's look at David. Go with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. So notice, not even Moses had an ability to approach God based on his own merit. He had to go to God based off of someone else's merit. You all see that? All right. Look at David here in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Now David at the end of his life, he's prepared the temple or the resources for the building of the temple. And leadership is getting ready to transition from David to Solomon. Now, even though David was in the lineage, lineage of Jesus, I mean, at this moment, he doesn't have the authority to approach God on his own. Okay, so let's read. Let's look at how he goes to God. First Chronicles 29, 18 and 19. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, who Jacob was later renamed Israel, or we could say as the Hebrews would say, Jacob. Okay? In America, he's what? Jacob. So, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the intent of the thoughts of the heart of your people and fix their heart towards you. Give my son Solomon a loyal heart to keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes to do all these things and to build the temple which I have made provision for. So, notice even David could not approach God on his own merit. He had to approach God on the merit of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. All right? Let's look at one more. Let's go to Hezekiah. Uh, look at First, Second Chronicles chapter 30. So again, let me show you human nature. Okay, by the time we get to Hezekiah, hundreds if not thousands or at least a thousand years or so have gone by. And so what happened was, if you read Deuteronomy and other places, what God put was blessings in the earth and curses in the earth, similar to what we just read in Romans chapter 8. I mean, there are two laws. Black then there were blessings and curses in the new covenant, the age of grace. It's the law of the spirit of uh, life in Christ Jesus and the law of sin and death. But back then, they were blessings and curses. And he told the people and he instructed them, that as long as you hearken to the voice uh, of my word, right, and you do all these things, then all these blessings will come on you. So the blessings were built into obedience, right? He said, but if you turn to the side, 
then all these curses will come on you. Well, how many know human nature sometimes wants to see what somebody will really do? How many of y'all have children? Hey, they're going to go right to the edge, right? Till they realize, bam, oh, I better not do that anymore. It's human nature, right? All right. So over history, what you had was, and I'm getting ready to show you this very clearly in the word of God. What you had was they would obey, God would bless them. As soon as everything's going good, then they got a better way to do it. Right? As a result, then the curses would come in, drought would come, enemy armies would come and overtake them. They'd be in uh, captivity. God help us. God, because he's so rich in mercy and grace, he comes back and helps them, right? Get them back together. As soon as they rebuild the temple, get themselves back together, everything's going great again, what would they do, Minister Harrell Johnson? Then all of a sudden, once again, they forget who did all of this for them, and they get off, mess up again, and then they're ready to come back. And so, again, we all understand this as parents. I want to bless my children. I never want to do anything to hurt my children, just like I never want to do anything to hurt this staff ever. But I mean, there are times I have to deal, discipline my children, right? I mean, that doesn't feel good on my part. That didn't feel good. My daughter was at the first service today, and I told her I may or may not share this. But, man, I, I disciplined her so. You ever disciplined your child so tough that it, it just hurts you? Anybody here know what I'm talking about? Where I almost wanted to cry. But I couldn't let up on her because I had to help her understand there's a real world waiting out here for you. And that behavior won't help you win out there. So much so, again, I know some of the mothers in here getting ready to go bananas. But we, we were investing in her. I disciplined her so tough, Minister Deanna. She's crying. I'm telling you, wipe those tears. Those tears won't help you in this situation. And say, so you better drop that attitude. And learn how to channel that into something positive so you can pull yourself up out of this. Now, that night, and you know, fathers, if you're in here, you understand what I'm talking about. Because we can see where that behavior will get you. So if we don't get it now, then they're going to pay a bigger price later on in life. All right, and so this is out of love. And so for the first time, Minister Deanna, she didn't come say goodnight or kiss me. And, you know, you can read that the wrong way, kind of felt a little something about that. Next morning, uh, I didn't realize she had stayed up late. She jumps, comes down, runs downstairs. She goes, get straight in the car and uh, didn't say bye, have a great day, Dad. All the stuff she normally does. So somehow later on that day, we connect, and she says, Dad, I was up late last night working on a three-year plan, strategic plan for how to correct what we talked about yesterday. Now, how many of y'all know that's a 15-year-old? You know, most adults won't let you discipline them. That's a 15-year-old child. And how many know I, want to re- I rewarded that bigger, watch this where I'm going, bigger than I disciplined her. But it didn't take away the consequences of what I said to her, which meant I transferred $450 out of her account into my account and said, you will pay for this for the rest of your time doing it until you hit certain benchmarks. My money will only kick back in when you hit these benchmarks. You do that with most adults. Let me tell you what I was looking for. I was looking to see would our relationship improve or would it go, would it get worse? That's what I was looking for. 
And it looked like initially it was getting ready to get worse, right? Until I gave her enough time to see her recover herself, but it still didn't remove the consequences. And listen to me. I know you fathers out here. I'm still not transferring that $450 back into her account. <laughs> Why? Because I told her something. If you don't keep your word, nothing you ever say again would they ever believe you'll actually carry it out. I said to her, until you hit certain benchmarks, my money won't pay for this anymore. I have to stick with that. Okay, you might say, well, why would you use that illustration? There's just certain things that are in the earth. God didn't do it to you. He told you, if you do these things, this will happen. If you do these things, this will happen. Once you choose that, how many know he's a righteous God? You all starting to understand? How many of y'all glad you came today? Okay. So now let me show you about God. So I want you to see something. The minute my daughter returned back to me, I instantly returned back to her. But it didn't remove the consequences. I mean, she could have just came back to get the consequences removed and never changed in her heart. How many know God doesn't want you to love him for what he can do for you? God wants you to love him because you love him. Life teaches me, London, as you grow. People sometimes fall in love with the idea of what you can do for them. They don't love you. They love the idea of what you can do for them. And once that idea is removed, there's nothing left. How I many of you know it would have hurt my heart had my daughter continued a certain way? Because that would have showed me she only really in this for what she thinks I can do for her. So now I got to handle her a little differently. It's good stuff, isn't it? How many of y'all glad you came today? Okay. Well, let me show you the heart of a father, okay? Look at First uh, Second Chronicles chapter 30. Let's look at Hezekiah's situation. So we've got the same thing here now. Now, uh, Israel is in captivity, Minister Johnson, because they did what? They did the wrong thing again. But, but God, always even in captivity, has a way for you to succeed. Look at Second uh, Chronicles chapter 30. Then the runners went throughout all Israel and Judah with the letters. Now, back then, they didn't have UPS and FedEx. They had sandals. And they give them the letters, and they've got to run and carry that letter wherever it needs to go. All right, and so the runners went throughout all of Israel and Judah with the letters from the king of his leaders and spoke according to the command of the king. Watch this. Children of Israel. Return to the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Then he will return to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hands of the kings of Assyria. So what you learn about God is God is not mad at you. God is not upset. The moment you return to God, God will instantly return back to you. And there's no greater picture of that than the prodigal son. The prodigal son was out wasting his life 
with riotous living. He spent all of his inheritance. But when the father saw him a great way off, the father said, go kill the best cow, get the best robe, take the ring off my finger, put it on my... The father never said anything about what he did wrong. He was more excited about the kid coming back than what he ever did that was wrong. That's the heart of God, folks. He's not... He doesn't care about what you've done. The sin under grace has already been forgiven. He's more excited that you're on the right track coming back. And he's looking to reward you for that. So the moment you take a step towards him, he's going to take five steps towards you. So now, under the new covenant, we approach God through the name of Jesus Christ. Because Christ initiated a new covenant through his death, burial, and resurrection. So what makes this new or better covenant better was the fact that in the Old Testament, the priest would go into the Holy of Holies once a year on behalf of the sins of the people. But, you know, I mean, you know, the, the, the priest wasn't perfect in a lot of cases. And so a lot of times he was doing the same things that the people were doing. And so they had to put a rope around him. And that rope, they tied and they had to put bells on it. And so he'd go in there and march around and he's got the blood from the spotless lamb and he's supposed to put that on the mercy seat and he's supposed to atone and intercede on behalf of the people for their sins. So as long as they could see that rope moving and those bells clanging, he was all right. But once that rope stopped moving and they heard a thud, pull him out. Here's the thing. Scripture tells us if you offended or, or missed one jot of the law, then you offended all of it. So no one can live up to that. All right. Here's the reality, folks. I'm a flawless man. I'm sorry, a flawed man. <laughs> Not flawless. Flawed man. I am. I, I am not perfect. I don't do everything perfect. I'm a flawed man. I miss it from time to time. I'm a flawed man. It's just reality. All of us in here are that way. What makes this one better, this new covenant better, is that we don't have to be perfect. And God loves us perfectly. What makes it better, folks, is that Jesus Christ, the sinless lamb, he represents us now without spot or error. Okay. What makes this one better, folks, is that he died early at a young age so I could live a long life and die at an old age. What makes this one better, folks, was he took sickness and disease and nailed it to that cross so that I can live in divine health, wholeness, and healing all the days of my life. What makes this one better, folks, whether you realize it or not, I will never die. Only thing I'll do is lay down on this body, but I will keep on living. I'll just transition from this life to the next life. No, it's hard for some people to swallow this, folks, but the reality is he became poor so that I could be rich. I know you think spiritual blessings. No, look it up, folks. He became poor so that all my needs could be abundantly met. He's talking about resources. How many of you know it's not fair, but I'll take it all day long. 
So now you'll see where I'm getting ready to go with this. That makes it better because I did nothing to earn that. Right? So if I did nothing to earn that, then I have no right going to God on my own merit. Stay with me now. The moment I begin to go to God on my merit, you know how you know something is wrong with my thinking? Okay? And we're going to break that down and look at that very clearly here. Now, Go with me to John chapter 14. I'm just going to read three texts, and I'm going to let you all go today. We'll just introduce this, then let you go. We'll pick up part two of this portion of it on next week. John chapter 14. Now, when I was in Bible school, and thank God for school of ministry. Matter of fact, thank God for everything I have ever learned my entire saved life. Because I'm learning that revelation is progressive. And if you'll keep going back to the well, You'll learn more about things that you already know, and you'll keep growing in the things that you know, and you won't stay stagnant. Anyone in here understand what I'm talking about? And never get to a place where you think, I know that, I've learned that. Always measure that by what has it produced in your life. If you really know it, what has it produced in your life? Okay, measure it by that and nothing else. And I guarantee if you keep going back and looking at it, it's more revelation in it, and it'll continue to progress. Now watch this. In John chapter 14, I was in Bible school. We learned to pray in Jesus' name. And, and the part that we understood, which was accurate and right, that name there was a Greek word, onoma, or unama, spelled O-N-O-M-A. And it meant authority and character. But now, after I understand Jesus is coming to fulfill what the Old Testament priest did and how none of those Old Testament patriots could go to the Father in their own name. They had to go in the name of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then it made this understand that what Jesus was doing was replacing what they did and fulfilling it with something better. And so when you think about, look at John chapter 14, 13 and 14, and if you can believe this, this is actually true. He says, whatever you ask, In my name. That sounds like a blank check, folks. And guess what? It is. Because Jesus has so much confidence in what he's lived before the Father. What he's saying is, if you've got enough faith and trust to ask, I've got enough ability to deliver. All right? So he says, this is powerful. He says, whatever you ask in my name. Isn't he real clear there? Notice he didn't say pray to the Father or pray to him and he'll go to the Father. Now, you've got to ask the Father, and this will be more clear in the two other texts. You've got to ask the Father in his name. And like I said, it's so easy for us to just, Jesus, can you help me? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And we don't understand we're wrong. Because nowhere in here did he tell you to pray to him. He always said pray to the Father in his name. And he's fulfilling an Old Testament principle. So when you think about name meaning authority and character, what he's saying is go to the Father in what I've done for you. Not what you've done. Go on my authority and my merit, not your authority and your merit. So think about sometimes how we pray because of how we've learned. I mean, you know, this is not a system of if I follow eight steps, God's going to automatically do something for me. Right? We're talking about a relationship here. So think about what he's saying. And I'm going to uh, lead by example on this. When you go to God talking about, you know, again, it's easy to do this. God, I tithe. I serve at the church, both services on Sunday morning. I, I drive, whatever it is. I, I'm down there with the children. And how many know what you're coming to him is based on your merit? And that's not going to get you anywhere. 
Notice he said, on my authority. Remember, you didn't do anything to earn this, so you don't want to come back to him like what you're doing should qualify you for him to do something for you. That's almost saying, God, because I've done this, you owe me. And that's a works mentality. So there are two things I want to show you here you never want to do when you approach God. Don't come to him based off of what you did. Watch this, folks. And it's his character, not yours, that God's looking at. Because our character is flawed. If I just went on my own, I don't think I could make it. But listen to this. Thank God I don't have to go on my own. All right? So, so watch this. Two things. I don't want to go in on my own merit. And then watch this. Don't ever blame God for what's going on in your life. God, why would you let something like this happen to me? God didn't let nothing happen to you. There are two laws that are in the earth. Okay? So you never want to say, God, you see my situation. If you were so good, then why would you let me be in this situation? You know how many people leave church and leave God because your performance can never live up to, to his expectations. And you hear people all the time, if God was who he said he is, then why? Right? Never want to do those things because it had nothing to do with you on the front end. Guess what, folks? It has nothing to do with you on the back end. It has everything to do with what Jesus did for you and what you want to do. So you want to begin to pray like this. If you understand grace, you're going to understand what I'm getting ready to say to you. When I understand that all my needs are already met, right, according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, I'm not going to him, I tithe, I do this, I give half of my income to the poor. How do you know that's all about you? No, I'm going to go this way. Father, you sent your son to die on that cross. And Jesus, you allowed your back to be beaten so that all of my needs could be met. And so, Father, I thank you that according to his riches, Jesus, and what he's already provided for me, all my needs are supernaturally met in Jesus' name. You all see the difference? Never go to God on your own merit because you don't have enough. Okay, let's use healing as an example. See, part of our problem, uh, what the Lord is showing me or our challenge, I shouldn't say that because I have the problem too. We're all in this together, and I'm growing with us, okay? And so if you read Hebrews chapter 4, what produces stress in a person's life is trying to get God to do something. I'm trying to come up with the right formula and behave the right way and say all the right things for God to do something. When you don't understand, he's already done it. All right? And so watch this. I'm not going to sleep good at night thinking I've got to get God to do something. But in Hebrews chapter 4, he said, those that have entered into my rest have ceased from their own labors. And now their faith is in the work that I've finished before the foundation of the world. And so stress is always going to be you trying to get God to do something. Rest is going to be when you believe it's already done. I mean, if I go to bed at night thinking that I got to get God to do something, my sleep is going to be affected by that. 
But if I go to bed at night believing that God's already done it, I mean, I'm going to sleep so good that night, I don't know what to do because I know that's done. That's a done deal. All stress is gone. All right, watch this. Well, let me say it this way before I read the rest of that. Are you all getting this? Is this making sense to anyone in the room? All right, so. Prayer is about responding to what you already have. Let's use healing again as an example. Instead of saying, God, will you heal me if it be your will? God, you can if you want to. Or worse yet, what are you trying to teach me through this situation, God? Because you wouldn't allow it if it wasn't something for me to learn. How many of you don't want to go to God like that? How do you want to go to God? You want to go to God this way. Father, I want to thank you for the price that Jesus already paid for my healing. And Father, when Isaiah was looking to the cross, it said that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. But Father, we are so far beyond that now because Peter was looking back at the cross. Jesus has already suffered the pen, the sin, the penalty of sin, sickness, death, and disease. And so, Father, Peter, looking back at that cross, defined it this way. He said that by those stripes, I am already healed. And so, Father, I thank you that your healing power is flowing through my body right now. And I stand healed and made whole in Jesus' name. Now I'm not asking him to do something. I'm receiving what he's already done. Okay? And I want to go real slow. I want to go real slow. Uh, you all heard me use the example of uh, we have an international speaker coming in. It's a blessing to this church to get someone of this level to come to this building or come to our church to, to minister to us. And so as long as I was working, let me show you what I was doing. Call this place. Call that place. Because remember, I don't believe I already have it. So I've got to do something to get it. Right? So I'm working. So what is that doing? Stressing me out. So, so Minister Harrell, we're calling everywhere. We can't get nothing cheaper than about $30,000. So then you look at a budget sheet, and you know what the honorarium, the jet fuel cost, the location, and now the sound equipment I mean, I wouldn't have been able to enjoy that event. I would have been sitting there like, man, her, oh, gee, we just spent X amount of dollars for this. I can't hear nothing. He, he minister. I mean, I'm, I, I, I can't get it. But then I'm studying this, and I shift it. I mean, oh, the devil will talk to you in that situation, Kanisha. The devil will be like, why would you book a speaker like that on a day and not have a building for him to go to? Why would you do something like that? Now you're going to mess that situation up. He'll call all the other speakers that you try to invite, tell them, and then you won't be able to get anybody. How that's what the devil will do to you, what stresses you out more, right? Then I'm studying this, and I get a revelation, and, and, and I say, you know what? God, you wouldn't have had him agree to a day. Not, it did, not this level speaker. He wouldn't agree to a day if there's not a building out there already ready for it. So then I shifted. I said, God, the building is already there. Show me where it's at. Right. Then when I did that, he said, call such and such, unconventional way. Such and such had already told me I couldn't use this building. And listen, it's in writing. So I can read. You cannot use the building on these nights, Period. It's in a contract. It's in writing. God told me to call him. 
and say this to him. I called him. Now, let me just tell, be transparent. Because I told God, he already said no. So, I mean, I don't have a right to talk to God like that. So in other words, now I'm getting ready to call him for God because I already know the answer. You see how we are? See, well, we're smarter than God, right? So he, it stayed on me long enough to I said, well, I'll go ahead and call. Every time I go in prayer, that same thing will come back up. So I called. It was so easy. I called him, and he said, because he was, he, he was impressed by the speaker, so he yelled the speaker's name, and he said, give me the weekend to work on it, which I knew what that meant. He has to go back to the elders, have an emergency uh, elders meeting, and then a congregational vote. He said, I'll call you on Monday, and I'll let you know. Called me on Monday and said, Doc, you got the building at no charge. So now, watch this. Come on, man, that's big. That's a modern-day miracle today. Every time I, my heart is so full sharing that story, because notice what my work was getting ready to produce was a $30,000 bill. Minimum. Once I stopped working and rested and trusted that it was already done, it didn't cost me nothing. Right. What I want you to understand, Joel couldn't get that done. I don't have the authority or the character. So anytime I rely on that, I cannot make any ground with God. You all still with me today? All right, let me wrap it up. <clears throat> so he says, whatever you ask in my name, that, wh- whatever you ask, I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. Then he reiterates it. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's powerful. If you understand that if you go to him based off of what he did, there's nothing he's not willing to do for you. Now, there are other companion scriptures to this. You remember when God said, I believe it's in the end of Hebrews, uh, when he said, if I gave you, how, how shall I not, if I gave you my son, how shall I not freely with my son give you all things? So I need you to understand he's already done the toughest thing he could ever do for you. Everything else is easy in comparison. Okay? So a spouse is nothing to God. House is nothing to God. Healing is nothing to God. If he gave you his son, how shall he not with his son freely give you all things? Everybody got it? All right, John chapter 15. Let's read verse 16. John 15, 16. I love this verse. It says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Somebody say, I'm chosen. Man, you remember in elementary school and grade school when you would choose somebody, or better yet, they would choose you? I don't know if you all remember this. You remember this, Tamika? You, 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 you would write these little notes, send them over there, and on the note it would say, will you go with me? Yes or no. Then a few of them would have, or maybe. Come on, was I the only one that used to? 
And man, you get that little note, boy, you would just feel like, man, she chose me. Right? Or you get the note back and she circled yes on there. I remember one time, I think I was in the fourth grade, I was so caught up that the girl had wrote yes on there, third grade, third or fourth grade. She had wrote yes on there, Al, and put her phone number on there, which meant yes, call me. <laughs> and so it's like my first time. So, it was, so I went home, and I didn't want to lose that phone number. And so I, I wrote, I had a, a wood, all wood in the bedroom that we lived in, and I took a magic marker, and I wrote her name and her phone number on that wood. I got a spanking and got put on punishment <laughs> for doing that. But I know when you're young, you don't know any better. I just don't want to lose this number. So I wrote it on there. She chose me. Now, my wife is not here today. She was at the earlier service, but I got the mic, so she's just got to live with this. And so I can remember when I was approaching my wife. You could just see the excitement and enthusiasm on her face that I was getting ready to choose her. She was just overwhelmed with excitement and joy. Oh, you could just tell it blew her away. So much so that at the end of a healthy conversation with her, Lawrence, she must have gave me four different ways to contact her. How many of y'all remember the pagers, the beeper? She said, this is my home number. This is my parents' number because I, I'm over there a lot. This is my work number, and this is my pager number. How I many know she was excited that I chose her? But let me tell the other side of that story. I was equally as excited, right, that I could tell she was reciprocating the fact that I had chosen her. And that made me feel good, so much so. Uh, we, I met her at a New Year's Eve service at midnight. Man, we were kidding it off so strong. We stayed in the balcony and talked till 3 a.m. in the morning. True story. Didn't it? It was like three minutes it went by. We looked up, it was 3 a.m. And, and this is a true story. Uh, she wrote a letter to me on that night. She went home, wrote a letter, and she addressed it to her husband. True story. Gave it to me on our wedding night. Never told me this. Never showed me this letter. None of that. She just kept this to herself. And on the night of our wedding, our first night ever being together, before we even consummated the marriage, she handed me the letter she wrote on the first night addressed to her husband. So God had showed her she had just met her husband. But, but here's the beauty of it. It blew me away how excited she was to see that I had chose her. <laughs> Come on, just let me have my moment. Come on, stop, stop hating on my moment. Can, can I have my moment? Come on, give me my five minutes to just feel good about that for me. Say, no, yeah, you'll give me five minutes. But here's my point. Think about what that does to us when we know people want us. God wanted you. And he proved it so much that when you didn't know him and while you were yet sinning, he sent his son to die for you. Somebody ought to lift their hands and appreciate that. Come on, think about that, how much he loved you and he chose you. All the 
people in the world. He said, I want you. Say, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, which means endure and it should excel. Folks, we are supposed to succeed not just today, but tomorrow and every day of our lives. That does not mean challenges won't come our way, but there's no weapon that can form against us that should ever prosper in our lives. And when the weapon forms, we're supposed to come out better every single time because the Lord is on our side and there's nothing that man can do unto us. And when you get a revelation of that, you'll stop hemming and hawing about what people do to you because you can appeal to a higher authority and watch God come through for you every single time. Then he reiterated that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he what? He'll do it. He'll give it to you. Last one, John chapter 16. We'll close right here for the day. John chapter 16, verse 23. And in that day, you shall ask me what? Nothing. What day is he talking about? All right. So when the disciples were with Jesus, they obviously talked to Jesus. He's talking about after his death, burial, and resurrection, there'll be no need to come to him anymore. Did you all see that? You go to the Father now but use my authority and my character, not yours. Okay? If I didn't make any point clear today, never tell God how great you are. Only tell God how great Jesus is and what he did. Never blame God for anything that goes wrong in your life. He's not your problem. He's your answer. So in that day, you'll ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, look how many times he says this in three chapters. Really, it's one letter. (laughs) He's just repeating the same thing over and over again. Most assuredly, I say to you that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be what? And there's no greater joy you're going to get and knowing how much God loves you through answering prayer in your life. Now, I learned something here because Jesus is fulfilling an Old Testament principle, which makes him our high priest in the New Testament. And in Bible school, I probably preached it. You all know the story of Stephen when he was stoned. And the scripture says he looked up into heaven and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Well, I used to preach it and, and, you know, Bible school, different things like that, that this was the only time uh, when someone did something that caused Jesus to stand up because he's seated at the right. He is seated, folks, but he is not done working. What do I mean by that? He still has a high priestly role to fulfill until he returns again. Okay, so when he stood, and I don't want to get ahead of myself because Folks, he's supposed to stand up for us every day. So when Stephen made that request, it was then his high priestly responsibility to take that request and present it to the Father. That's why he stood up.
because he had to go to the father on what he did. Stephen didn't have it. And so every time, if you don't understand this, we do this right. Jesus is obligated to take it and, and intercede and remind the father, just like the Old Testament patriarchs did. Think about it. God was getting ready to destroy him, right? And when they said, in the name of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, can you imagine Jesus pleading your, your cause? And what he's saying, not off of anything that they've done, but Father, what I've done for them. And then the Father has to do it for the Son. And then I'm going to show you what happens from there. Because in that throne room, it's like a courtroom. And then what Jesus does is he gives out assignments to angels. they go to work on your behalf. It's going gonna, it's gonna to bless you real good. Hallelujah. You get anything out of this today? We're just done for the day. We'll pick this back up next week. So what I never want you to do, don't wave a magic wand. Understand why you're using the name of Jesus and use it the right way. Remove yourself from the process and your marriage. I tithe, I do this, I even gave more this year, God. How could, no, you, you can't get anything done there. Okay? Praise God. Let's lift our hands to the Father. Hallelujah. Somebody say, God.